0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we'll talk to the American Legion's Legislative Director, Matt Schumann. We're going to speak to Matt about the issues that continue to surround choice funding, or the lack thereof. We're also going to delve into why the Legion has a legislative and lobbying office in D.C. I mean, you hear the term lobbying, and there's some negative connotations that come along with that oftentimes. But is there anything negative about what the Legion is doing in D.C.? We're going to ask Matt about that in just a little bit. Later. We're going to have some very special guests live in studio. Now, Dan Lamoth of the Washington Post is the reporter behind their War Letters project. We talked to Dan a couple of weeks ago about the project, and while we spoke about it, he mentioned the accompanying podcast where veterans, modern era veterans, are bringing to life the words written by the Forbes Head brothers in hundreds of letters during World War II. Two of those veterans who are voicing the Eid Brothers letters are going to join us today and we'll talk about that experience in voice acting and any connection they feel to their veteran brothers from seven plus decades ago. It's an amazing piece of living history, this War Letters Project, and I can't wait to talk to Dan and the voice acting veterans about that. And now I can't wait to talk to... Super producer, Jake Hughes. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how about you? How happy are you that your your computer that you won has arrived? It hasn't arrived yet. Oh, I thought it had arrived. No, it
2: was just a picture the guy took of the... Oh. For those of you that aren't that don't remember, I won a contest online where I got a brand new top-of-the-line Corsair PC, custom-built for me, and it is so awesome. I found out today it's coming uh, pre downloaded with some games. Oh, wow. The guy who's selling to me gave me access to his Steam library so I have tons of games I have access to. Wow. It's fantastic. I am so ecstatic. And yeah. it just it, I just I look at it and it's got all the LED lights and everything and all I can think is <laughs> it's so pretty. The problem is, you just bought a computer.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a I did a short time ago, a week before. And then you won this one.
2: Yeah, a week before I decided to join the PC Master Race and I bought my PC then I won this, and now I'm trying to get rid of the PC I've bought, but no one's buying it on eBay. I got a friend that might want to pay for it, but it's not going to come close to paying off the credit card. And it's just like, yeah, ugh.
1: yeah. it's um, you know, it's it's a it's a pain, man, when things like that happen. What was it? Alanis Morissette wrote a whole song about that irony. Yeah, Ten Thousand Spoons. When all you it's need too is a knife. Although her her song that was very good. Uh, her song it's really more about pain in the butt things yeah. than ironic things. Yours is a little bit more ironic actually. Yeah. Like just bought a great computer, 2 days later you won an even better computer. computer. Yeah, that's 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 a little bit of irony. I suppose it would be even more ironic as if uh you bought the you know, top of the line computer today and then tomorrow computers became abs- obsolete. Yeah. That would be that would be even more ironic. But see, but-
2: here's the thing. I don't I don't follow enough of the computer world to really care about that. And I've been told by my my techie friends, I showed them the specs on this computer and they told me, basically you can run any game in the world at top settings and this computer will laugh at it. Mm -hmm. So, and and I don't care about, Oh, it's got to have the most cutting edge graphics. I don't really care about that. As long as it will play the game, I'm fine. So yeah,
1: you know, I have uh, I had a video game issue because we we're both living in a state of arrested development, apparently. That's how some of our, the older generation would view us and even some people of our generation, Jake. But video games are kind of a, a common thread among people our age. We grew up playing them. I mean, I grew up was born in 1979 and the Nintendo, the original Nintendo, was at about 84, 85 it came out in the yeah, US. That. So I'm like 5, 6 years old and everybody had one. I ended up having a Sega Master System, but all my friends had the Nintendo Entertainment System. I had the exact same
2: problem. I had the Sega Master System. Penguin Land, man. Penguin Land Alex kid.
1: Remember Alex kid? Yeah. Remember? He was uh he was an interesting one. Um, hang on, Jungle Hunt that was the game that came with mine. Um Everybody else had the Nintendo, so I grew up playing either the Sega Master System or the Nintendo Entertainment System, and uh, it was great, it was fun, you played these games, and then the next thing came out, Sega Genesis, that was the next one I had, then I jumped over to Sony for the PlayStation when that came out, then the Xbox instead of the PlayStation 2, then the Xbox 360, now the Xbox One, well my Xbox One, about two weeks ago or so, just stopped connecting to my Wi-Fi network. Really? Yeah, it, it could see Wi-Fi networks, but it couldn't see mine. I know mine is there. My laptop was connected to it. My phone was connected to it. The the Xbox just could not see it. I tried resetting it, setting it back to the factory settings, which deleted all of my game saves that were oh. on the console. Hey, it was either that or not being able to play anymore. So it was you know kind of a between a rock and a hard place there. And nothing worked. So ended up, my wife was like, hey, you know, isn't there like a newer, smaller one that doesn't look as ridiculous as that giant (laughs) brick? And I said, yeah, there is. And it actually also has the power supply inside, so the big brick that's behind the 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 stand where we have it, essentially, that won't be there either. She was like, okay, that's your Christmas present. So <laughs> we went and we found a great deal on one. And this is uh, interesting because, you know, we did the story and we talked about here on the show how and, uh has, has become available to veterans for online shopping. And I used them to price check some stuff this weekend. Now, I did it for a story and I looked at some stuff the new xbox so not the newest one there's the xbox one x which is like 500 dollars it's the most powerful console ever made blabberdy blabberdy if you have an ultra high def television okay fantastic go get one i don't <laughs> we have an old hd tv like it's 1080p probably at this point it's a little bit uh a little bit less but the um the Xbox One S, which is the middle one, which I got, which is a little bit faster than the original. It's smaller, it's white as opposed to black, so it actually fits our decor a little bit better. I wanted to look and see where I can find the best price on it. So I look online, and I'm looking at Amazon, and I'm looking for uh, the the either the they have the original, the 500 gigabyte hard drive, or the 1 terabyte hard drive, which means you can save more games on it. And since that's how you buy games these days, I can't tell you the last time I bought an actual disc game. Actually, I can. I think it was when the original Xbox came out, 2013.
2: And this may be too too much information too late, but you know you can buy the console and then install a one-terabyte hard drive. I did that with my PlayStation.
1: Yeah, I I guess. And it's actually cheaper. So I didn't... uh, We we got the 500 gig. I don't need a terabyte hard drive. I figured out. Um, I've only got... It's only a few games I play Battlefield 1, uh, right now Forza Horizon 3, which came with it. So here's the deal I find on uh, Amazon, I'm not finding great prices on Amazon. I was kind of surprised. I was like, I saw some really good ones on Black Friday, but that was before I knew that I might need a new Xbox, so I didn't look into it. Uh, probably would have saved a few dollars on that day. So I go to the AFES, uh website and I find a bundle. A one terabyte hard drive bundle with Forza Horizon 3 included in it and thought like, oh, that's looking pretty good. And that was like $280 or something like that, which was, I believe, $75 or so less than the closest. No, 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 no. You know what? It was $229. Wow. And most places, you were finding it $279. It was called the Military Appreciation Bundle. So for $229, terabyte hard drive, a game included, a game that I've read really good things about. It was one of the top-reviewed games of, uh, I believe, last year it came out or maybe earlier this year. I don't know. And I'm thinking 229 now that's $50 less than anywhere else that you're seeing the one terabyte with the bundle. And I was just about to, to pull the trigger on that one when I found a 500-gig Xbox One S, uh, it was at Target actually, $179.99 with the same game included and an expansion pack that's like $30. Wow, that is insanely cheap. Yeah, $180. So we got $180, we got the Xbox One S and uh, Forza Horizon 3 which is, if you're I'm not into like racing games where you're racing around in a circle. This is almost a throwback to the old school racing games, like like uh,
2: like Ridge Racer, the old, uh, yeah. the, the old arcade games, like
1: Ridge Racer or uh, what was the uh, it was the car version of Hang On that was on like the 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 Nintendo and the Master System. You were in like a uh, toplet, like a convertible. You're driving. I along don't the remember beach. the name, but I know what you're talking. You know about. what I'm talking about that game. But here's the thing. This Forza Horizon 3 game, it's open world. So you get to drive around in, in this one, Australia. And there's races that you can take part in or not. You can just drive around this beautiful landscape. And the reason that I really, we not only was it cheap, but it came with that $30 expansion pack, $20 expansion pack, whatever it is, it's a Hot Wheels expansion. So once you get that, you can go to a certain place on the map and be transported to essentially Hot Wheels World, where you're driving either <laughs> Hot Wheel cars or like Lamborghinis. And I have a Range Rover, Land Rover, and I, I have a bunch of other cool stuff. I actually have the uh, a car painted like the General Lee from Dukes of Hazard because, of course, <laughs> when you get that old Challenger, it's gonna you're gonna paint it like the General Lee. That's the way things go. Um, you can drive them along like Hot Wheels tracks, and you can actually build your own. Track to race along at certain That's points. That's cool. It is. It is a very cool game, but I'll tell you, man. If the the one terabyte hard drive had been the the difference maker, the uh, Afis website had everybody beat. Really, their military appreciation bundle two hundred and twenty nine for the one terabyte hard drive. The one I got was was what fifty dollars less than that or whatever. But it's the five hundred gig hard drive. Um, and it did come with the expansion pack, so it kind of evens out, I would say overall. But anywhere else that I looked for that one terabyte hard drive, you could get just the system for two seventy nine. Some people had a bundle for two seventy nine of not as good games, like games that I didn't want, basically in a bundle. So it was uh, it was interesting to see that Aethis in this case, if you're looking for a one terabyte Xbox One, uh, the Xbox One S in particular, it's the it's the mid range version. That's where you're going to want to go. You're not going to find a better deal than the military appreciation bundle, and that was the only one though that they had that was like two thirty or whatever. There was a two seventy nine I think that was on there. I'd have to double check it, and I want to make sure. You know what? I want to make sure that I'm not giving the right, <laughs> the wrong price on there. So let's see. And it's as simple as going to your. Uh, it's as simple as going to your computer and typing in something like AFE's military appreciation bundle oh bundle xbox one s let's see if it comes up uh shop my exchange here we go oh battlefield one military appreciation bundle uh yeah this is the one terabyte but it's 279 and it's also well it's a black one i didn't know they made the xbox one s in black here's the forza one terabyte okay it looks like i was wrong 279 I thought I saw it for 229. Maybe it was this weekend, but still, 279 is a really good deal, and that makes me even happier that we went for the the 500 gig with the the Forza Horizon and the Hot Wheels expansion on it. But it goes to show you, though, that man, they're they're doing pretty good over there as far as competing with the big boys, the big box stores, and not only that, you got to remember that 279 that's tax free. It's not 279 plus. I mean, if if you're talking 10 percent sales tax, you are looking at that $27. So that pop, something like that, yeah, that pops it up to $307 right there. That's before shipping. Now you can get free shipping from some places. You know what we did? We did a store pickup at Target. That's what we. Ended That's up the smart doing. way to do it. Yeah, we, it was it. They there were four of them left, and they were apparently selling very well. They would just gotten them in this bundle because people were like, "Whoa, this is a crazy deal under $200." Uh, So, yeah, we called, reserved it, essentially, paid for it there, and then all we had to do was show up and show them the phone where we bought it and pick it up, and it's Target, so my wife likes walking around that store because it's designed, I've seen so many memes that Target is designed to just keep women in there forever, (laughs) essentially. When we lived in Long Island, my wife would sometimes say she was going to Target, and I'd be like... All right, so what am I supposed to eat for tomorrow? Have you? Is there food in the house? She'd be like, "That's not funny." I'll be back tonight. I said, "Yeah, we'll see." There were some nights where she didn't didn't quite make it back before midnight, but yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing that came up over the last couple of days for me. Now, some interesting things taking place around the military and veteran world. Yesterday, we played a part of my conversation with Flo Groberg, Medal of Honor winner. Oh, yeah. Not winner. Medal of Honor recipient. Yeah. You catch yourself saying that because when you think of a medal, you think of winners. But the Medal of Honor, the Purple Heart, there are certain medals that you you don't win. You receive them. You are honored. Uh, We we honor you uh, and show you how much we appreciate you by presenting them to you. Uh, Another Medal of Honor winner is in the news. And I actually heard about this from the American Legion yesterday. And Joe Plensler, when I was talking to him, U.S. Marine earned the Medal of Honor for throwing himself on a grenade. His name is Kyle Carpenter. Received his bachelor's degree in international studies on Monday from the University of South Carolina's graduation ceremony. So two days ago he did that. And, you know, for people who worry about how academia thinks about our military, there are significant problems in academia as it stands right now. But, uh... Kyle Carpenter he got a standing ovation at the University of really? South Carolina. That's that's awesome graduation. The entire crowd rising to their feet. Uh, Carpenter told the local newspaper down there uh, that was one of the most incredible moments since I woke up at the hospital and realized I had a second chance at life. He was credited with saving the life of a fellow marine by shielding from an exploding grenade in Afghanistan in 2010, and of course received the Medal of Honor from President Obama in 2014. He lost his right eye, suffered collapsed lungs and broken bones, dozens of surgeries. Um, you know he is uh, doing things the right way, man, and he's somebody who uh, it looks like we have some connections to him. So we're going to reach out and see if we can uh, talk to him and find out what he plans to do because that's part of the uh, that's part of the issue that veterans face. Whether you're a Medal of Honor recipient or a uh, Global War on Terrorism Participation Medal <laughs> recipient, you know well, what's that one that you get like just for being yeah the quad Global War on Terrorism that one in yeah. the uh, the National Defense Service yeah where, like you could basically you could be doing laundry at Leavenworth for a four year enlistment and you're still getting those two medals so you know it's always funny when you hear a story about some uh, typically a veteran who's done something bad. They'll be like, oh, he was a decorated soldier. He received both the National Defense Service Medal <laughs> and the Global War on Terrorism <laughs> Service Medal. Like, okay, that just means he was in the military. They're participation tr- tr- trophies. That's what they are. You start talking about somebody who's got the Afghanistan or Iraq deployment medal, uh, combat uh, infantryman badge. Those are decorations that people have. The NATO non-article five medal, the bronze star. Honestly, if you don't have a bronze star with V, I have difficulty calling you a decorated veteran. That's kind of the beginning of decorated to me. Everything below the Bronze Star with V, including the Bronze Star, the regular Bronze Star without Valor. Those are impressive. Some of them more impressive than others. But when you start talking about someone as decorated and using that term, like decorated marine, a decorated marine is someone who has the Bronze Star with V or higher, Silver Star, Navy Cross, things like that. Is that kind of how you look at it, or do you look yeah, at it a little
2: differently? Same way. Like I have, you know, my Army commendations and my Army achievement Archon, ribbons and, yeah. and all those things. But I don't. I never got the Bronze Star. And I, cause I don't think I ever really earned it. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not like, Oh, I never got the bronze star. No, I never earned it. So, but I, I think that sounds about right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's just when people talk about decorated service members because they see two, three medals. This guy, like you'll see, guys, and you'll be like, you don't even have a good conduct medal. He couldn't make it three years without screwing up. That's what that tells me, you know. I and when they talk about decorated service members, they're like, gee, well then to them, I must be Chesty Puller because I got a <laughs> shadow box with like seventeen medals in it or something ridiculous like that. I mean, it's it, it's interesting how people look at this. But Kyle Carpenter, highly decorated, has now finished school. You would assume there would be opportunities open to him, but he says he's weighing his options and looking at what he wants to do because. It's difficult, man. It's difficult to know what you want to do, where you want to go, and what's available to you. International studies, bachelor's degree, that's fantastic. Um, Of course, he has name recognition as a Medal of Honor recipient, so that would probably help him. But I think even so, he's probably struggling with trying to figure out exactly what he's going to do after school. And really, I went to college after I got out of the Navy. You didn't after you got out of the Army. All I did was delay that worry of what I'm going to do for, for a couple of years. That's that's the only difference between us. That and I got a fancy little piece of paper and got to wear a silly outfit and walk uh, down an aisle and shake hands with a tiny little guy who looked like Billy Joel. It's true. <laughs> the president of uh, Hofstra University on Long Island, Billy Joel's hometown, uh, President Rabinowitz, uh, looks like Billy Joel. It's kind of creepy and I've never seen the two of them in the same room at the same time. So, mm. is the president of Hofstra University, in fact, Billy Joel? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, he is <laughs> clearly. Uh, but yeah, you know that. I mean, that's that's all that you're doing by going to college. In many cases, so in some cases, some degrees, and I'm sure in Kyle's, that's a difficult degree. That's a degree where you're working hard, you're learning a lot of stuff. You may have something. I mean, his experience as a marine, his experience during deployments, uh, gives you in that sort of curriculum, certainly a leg up on the average student as far as understanding things, but you're going to have to work on it. A lot of us though, I'll take me for example, my degree from Hofstra university is in communication, specifically radio production and studies. I knew as much as some of my professors when I got to the school about radio production and studies. So it was great for me. I did learn a lot while I was there, but I had professors ask me, like, why aren't you teaching classes here? Why are you taking it? I was like, because they're going to pay me to go to school, essentially. And it was delaying the inevitable. It was using that GI Bill to put off. Like, what am I really going to do for the rest of my life? How do I go about it? That's where college was most valuable to me, was getting those connections. My job, I came, of course, down here to com from 1010 Wins, uh, the world-famous news radio station in New York City, I got the job there from being at Hofstra and going on essentially a tour of 1010 wins with uh, Hofstra Radio Hall of Famer Lee Harris, the morning anchor up there. And maybe it was me being in the military. Maybe it was the fact that I've actually seen members of the Taliban sitting uh, across the way from me a few feet. I don't get really nervous or intimidated no matter who I'm talking to with a couple a couple notable exceptions. I was the only one who asked any questions when we did a Q and a at the end of the tour, it was just me constantly like 12 questions in a row. Like <laughs> what about this? What about this? What about the unions? What about everything? And uh, I guess he, uh, in in his words, I like the cut of your jib. Like, <laughs> wow, that's a good Naval terminology for you to use with a sailor and pulled me aside and uh, brought me in to meet the, uh, the assistant news director. And then a couple months later I was hired there. So it, it's that kind of thing, but I didn't know how to get into the radio industry and that's where college helped me. But You know, it was just, if if I had gone to some other school where I didn't have access to the New York radio industry like you do at a school like Hofstra, which happens to be the number one radio production school in the country and uh, number one college radio station in the country, not only that, number one non-commercial radio station in the country. How do you get into that world? We, I mean, we, we kind of lucked out, honestly, like this is a, this is right down our alley when you and I applied for this job down here at Connecting Vets. It's like tailor-made for people like Yes, yeah. you know? There aren't many jobs like that out there. And it doesn't really matter what your job was, uh, unless maybe you're a military police officer. But I've also heard about MPs, that the police departments tend to not like them as much. Really? That they're looking for veterans who were not military policemen. And here's the reason. They learn a way of doing things as MPs and master in arms in the Navy and you know, security buddies in the air force or whatever they're called. <laughs> um, they learn a way of doing things in the military. That's just different than in the civilian world. And it's ingrained to them by the time they get out. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like they have to break them down and rid them of what they consider bad habits to give them their new habits. And right. it's just, easy. so, you know, there, <clears throat> there's a lot of difficulty for veterans out there. And and that's what I'd like to talk to somebody like Kyle Carpenter about. I talked briefly with Flo Groberg about it the other night, another medal of honor recipient, who just finished his masters. And you know, one of the things that I thought, why the heck is he going for his masters? He's a medal of honor recipient. He doesn't need his masters. And you know, I, I realized that I was putting something on to him that I think some people probably put on to me where people would ask me, including again, professors at the school, you don't need to be here. You could get a job right now. Why are you here? And I would tell them again, they're paying me good money to go <laughs> to school and having that paper will be beneficial. The other thing that I would tell them is, it's not about what I need to do. After doing thirteen years in the military, and I think you can uh, you can identify with this, Jake, it's what I wanted to do. I did what I needed to do for thirteen years. Now it was me time. Yeah, for those exactly. next years, from two thousand, uh, what was it, uh, January two thousand twelve to December two thousand fifteen. So just about three years. It, that's what I wanted to do, and you know what? It was it was a good learning experience for me. It was a science experiment getting to be around uh, some of these millennials that they talk about so much <laughs> and see what they're all about. Like the one who uh, informed me that marines were being waterboarded at boot camp. Ah. Yes. Sage yes. wisdom there. Yeah, so pretty much as soon as they arrive, pull them off the bus at Paris Island and waterboard them. That that's what she Apparently had been told was happening uh, without the Paris Island thing because I, I think I asked her where Marine Corps boot camp was and she said I think it's in Kansas or something like that. I was like, yeah, Fort Riley. There we go. Yeah, no, it's not. at you may be thinking of Leavenworth, um, and I don't think they're waterboarding people even there. Uh, yeah, just one of those interesting things. So, learning experience gave me good connections that that ended up leading to me getting a, a few different jobs uh, over time. But it was also decompression time. It was three years where. Most days I was in class for like an hour and a half, three hours. If I had two classes that day, my busiest days, I think I would be there for like four hours. So you want to talk about a part-time job where you're getting full-time pay E five with dependence, BAH, it ain't a bad deal, man. And college is that it's good decompression time. It's a good learning experience. It can be excellent professional training, particularly if you're going for something new, but at the end I was still like, I had a, I had a job by the time I graduated, but I knew that wasn't the end game for me. I knew there was still more to come, and I had to start planning out that future, which ended up including this move down here. I think that's the same for everybody. I think it's the same for a Medal of Honor winner, and I think it's the same for someone like you who decided not to go the college route. You just had to make that decision a little bit faster when you got out of the military (laughs) and figure things out a little bit quicker. So. You know, again, it doesn't matter what medals they've hung around your neck in the case of the Medal of Honor or pinned on your chest in the case of the uh, National Defense Service or whatever you want to talk about. It doesn't matter. We're all going through the same stuff. And we've got some great organizations out there working to help us as we go through that stuff, including the American Legion. We're going to talk with their legislative director, Matt Schuman, and media director, Joe Plensler, coming up in just a few seconds about choice funding and. Also, why the Legion has a legislative and lobbying office. Back after this morning briefing.
0: Helping military veterans stay connected.
1: We make it easy.
0: We're CBS Radio's connectingvets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and
2: all over social media Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets.
1: Welcome back to The Morning Briefing here on EntercomsConnectingVets.com, your site. And we mean that. Created by veterans for veterans. You want to check out connectingvets.com every day or at least as often as you can. I know the boss may not like you looking at the site 25 times a day, but you can follow us on social media to be kept abreast of the latest and greatest that we're doing on the site. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And we truly are a team of veterans and the veteran adjacent like military spouses, military dependents, working tirelessly every day to bring you the news and information that you as veterans need and can use to make sure that you're living your best post military life. 13 years in the Army for Jake, 13 years in the Navy for me and the rest of our team. They have a lot of experience as well, as do our two next guests. But let me rewind just a little bit before we talk to them. The Washington Post recent war letter project is absolutely fascinating. You see, a treasure trove of letters between the four Eid brothers, three of whom were serving in World War II, were found in an abandoned storage locker in Arizona. Those letters were brought to the attention of post-military reporter Dan Lamoth, who worked tirelessly to not only read through hundreds of letters, but give them context by tracking down those who actually knew the brothers. And that was no small feat. All four of them had passed away. None of them had any children, so this involved a lot of legwork on Dan's part. But that legwork led to an amazing story that's been published in the Washington Post. The story itself is great. But the War Letters Project, it does not end there. Because as cool as that story is, I would submit that it's surpassed in coolness by the accompanying podcast, Letters from War. What's so cool about the podcast? Well, if the letters and story provide a window into history, the podcast brings that history to life through voice actors who actually portray the Eid brothers. Oh, and those voice actors, they happen to be veterans themselves. And today, we're happy to welcome two of them into the studio, Jeff Chang and Brendan Wentz. Thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Briefing today, gentlemen. How are we doing?
3: Great. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. So let's start off with you, Brendan. You talked first, so you get to go first. Tell us just a little bit about where you're from,
3: when you joined, and what you did while you were in. All right. Um, Well, I grew up in Ohio and uh, did the uh, ROTC program at John Carroll University, commissioned after that in uh, 2005 into the U.S. Army. Uh, Started out as an armor officer and later transitioned to uh, military intelligence and uh, deployed a couple times to Iraq and then uh, just been stationed pretty much all over the country in between then and uh, got out in uh, 2014 and uh, have uh, been transitioning in the D.C. area since. Very cool. Now let's move over to Mr. Jeff Chang. And Jeff, how about you? Where are you from? When'd you
1: join? What'd you do?
4: Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up in Austin, Texas. That's a nice town. And, uh, yeah, going back here in a couple of days. In fact, um, uh, Austin's great. I went to, I even stayed there for college. Uh, we went to UT Austin, uh, did the Navy ROTC program there. Uh, and then after that commissioned, uh, into the Navy. Um, there you and go. Then, Somebody made the right decision, <laughs> right? at
1: least. This guy going into the Army, what's he thinking about?
4: Yeah. Uh, after that, I uh, um, uh, started flight school. Um, oh, so cool. Flew uh, helos primarily in the Navy, uh, and then did uh, some fixed wing time as well. Uh, so I flew uh, Seahawks, flew um, um, Hueys, uh, flew Metroliners, and also flew C-130s.
1: Wow, so a variety of aircraft. I didn't even know it worked that way. I keep learning (laughs) things about the military that I served in for 13 years. There are helicopter pilots who then go on to be fixed-wing pilots. You could start off flying Hueys and end up flying C-130s by the time you're done? There's
4: there's a few of us. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it's it's not common, but
1: it's uh, that that makes you kind of unique there also yeah. unique that you've been involved with this podcast and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes but first let's talk about the transition period for you Jeff when you leave the navy i know that's that's a big change navy life is its own unique animal what do you remember about transitioning from your time into the navy becoming kind of going from Jeff the pilot in the navy to yeah. Jeff the civilian not quite yeah. knowing
4: what he was going to do uh i got to tell you my uh my transition uh, was tough. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a really simple nutshell, uh, I'll say this though: the first year of of being out of the Navy was was kind of set because I had I'd, I'd um, gone to grad school. Right. So at that point, I wasn't looking for like a job or anything. Uh, and um, the grad school was right here in Washington D.C. at Johns Hopkins SICE. Um And then uh, after grad school, that's when the job search began, and it was it was challenging, and I had to rely on some other sources. You know, b- uh, borrow money. Uh, and um, in fact, even had to sort of activate myself in the reserve and go on active orders. Right. Um, just back in uniform again. Here I am back in uniform. <laughs> this, is, this is why I left the navy. I left the navy for a reason, and I'm um, here. I am back in in uniform again. Uh, but anyway, I I think it was tough, tough. And uh, to be honest, I I think it had it it could have had uh, to do with the economy at that point. This this was 2007. Right. Rolling into 2008, even. Uh, and I also think part of it was my desire to serve in, uh, federal government jobs. Mostly, mm-hmm. uh, I had applied to a thing called, uh, PMF or presidential management fellowship. Uh, and that didn't work out because of, I think what I remember was a technicality, uh, and also, um, uh, jobs in general, the jobs I wanted required clearances. And I didn't, and I did not have the, the, to- the, that top secret clearance at that point. Right, so right. That, I, it, it, in a nutshell, it was really tough for me. Hmm. And Brendan, how about you?
3: Uh well I have to echo Jeff's uh Jeff's sentiments um uh, in a nutshell. Yeah, it's it's uh, been a tough situation. Um I I say I'm still in it to a degree. Um even though I got out a few years ago. And uh you know, same as Jeff, I um wasn't quite sure where I, you know, what where I would end up, but now I'm in grad school. Mm. Um and that's partially due to just the interest in the program, um also at Johns Hopkins, but also um, just sort of help, trying to help me uh, narrow down my focus as to what I would really want to end up doing. Um, so I bounced around between uh, a nonprofit, uh, a little stint on Capitol Hill, and um, you know just applying to different schools. So right, uh, so. you
1: know, for the enlisted simpletons like me. I think we look at our officers and we think those guys are going to be all set when they get out. They're going to have 20 jobs lined up. They've got all this money they're saving because they're getting paid two, three times as much as I am, even though I've been in longer than they have. It's not always the case though, right? I mean, yeah, there are many benefits that come with being a military officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, ROTC programs, both of you went through, mm-hmm. did those help pay for school while you were in the ROTC programs for you? Yeah, yeah they, so did. they you, did. You've got that going for you, but then... You guys go through the same thing. We've talked to, to three star, four star generals and admirals on this program who their transition wasn't as smooth as they maybe thought it was going to be. For them, I think it's a different set of difficulties, like not having a personal driver to bring them around anymore <laughs> and that kind of thing. But, you know, for all of us, there are different things that whichever side you're serving on, whether you're wearing shoulder boards or chevrons, you know, there there are difficulties that we face when we get out. And I think one of the things that we don't think about. And we actually, ironically, kind of talked about this earlier on the show when Jake and I were talking. I got out went to school. Jake got out and didn't. When I went to school, I viewed that um, certainly somewhat as like a professional development thing and learning about the job, but this is kind of the job that I did in the Navy to an extent. So uh, I, the school was pretty easy for me. It was really more of a, a time for me to go to school and kind of decompress and take it easy, only have to work three or four hours a day <laughs> as I went into classes that I already knew all the answers to. As officers, having already gone through college, you don't really get that. I mean, yeah, grad school is a possibility, and and I, I the GI Bill does any of that stuff cover like the the grad school for you?
3: Yeah, I'm actually using the the GI Bill to cover tuition now. So right, but yeah. that's one of those setbacks that you guys
1: don't have that that we get to use is that kind of decompression time. Yeah, three or four years in college, figure out what I want to do while I'm there. A little bit shorter timetable for the, uh, the former officer, I think.
3: Yeah, I would say there's um almost at least for me there was a kind of a great deal of pressure to just sort of jump back in right. to things and, um, and or do the exact same type of work. So I think the transition is made a little bit more difficult if you're looking to do different types of things. And, uh, you know, especially if you had a, a set crew track within mm-hmm. whatever service you were in, um, kind of everyone expects you to just keep doing that on the civilian side. Right. Um, so it, it's sort of a pain I brought up on myself to try to actually do something different. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of a a little bit of a point of frustration is a lot of people think, you know, just because of your time and and service and, or your whatever rank you held, you might have it a little bit easier than, than some other folks. But,
1: and the jobs that you two worked, I think have connotations that come along with them. Intelligence officer. I mean, it's right there in the title. You got to be smart. If you're an intelligence officer, it's not as sexy as it sounds (laughs) (laughs) and pilot Mm -hmm. Navy pilot. I mean, how many people ask you like, Oh man, like Tom Cruise, you doing that? Yeah, I get, I get that every
4: day.
3: <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't,
4: I don't get that every day, but yeah, every now and then. We're speaking with Jeff
1: Chang and Brendan Wentz. Brendan is an Army officer and veteran. Jeff Chang, a Navy officer veteran. The two of them are also involved in a fantastic project that the Washington Post is doing. It's part of their War Letters project that relates to this treasure trove of letters that was found in an abandoned storage locker in Arizona. We talked to Dan Lamothe, the author of the story, a couple weeks ago on the show, It kind of reminds me of the show Storage Wars, the story of how these letters came to be. Like somebody went in, that TV show is perhaps a little bit more sensationalized, but people do bid on abandoned storage lockers. In this case, thankfully, it was a veteran who did bid on it, came across these letters, realized what they were, brought them to Dan's attention. It led to this whole project, and I think the capstone of that project, the coolest part of it, is the Letters from War podcast that you guys are involved in. I'm going to let you guys explain a little bit about what the podcast actually is. So, Jeff, if someone comes up to you and says, what is the Letters from War podcast and what part are you playing in it? What do you have to do with it? What would you tell that person?
4: Right. Well, I think the podcast, uh, the overall goal, the theme, if you will, is essentially it's the transmission. It's, it's the perpetuation of information and stories uh, from World War Two in this case. Uh, and making sure that that information doesn't die off; that those stories don't die, right? Uh, and that that, that 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 those stories get passed from generation to generation. Uh, and, you know, back then, that, that's all. That's really all they had. They all all they had was letters to you know to to transmit the information on on paper. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and someone decided that these that these letters had to be saved. Um, and and they I don't know how they ended up in the storage unit. <laughs> i I'm, I'm kind of thankful but I, I feel like the writers of the letters uh you know in my case uh, john my the, the character that i that i read for uh i feel like that whole family they would have wanted this you know i mean they have these compelling stories uh and they need to be preserved yeah
1: and as i mentioned at the top of the segment none of the brothers had any children they didn't have any really uh they, they didn't leave any heirs to continue telling their story uh, as we talked to dan on the show a couple of weeks ago a relative uh, brought those letters out to the storage locker in arizona that relative passed away it's a family that it seems and dan lamoth of the washington post now joins us in studio as well dan it, it seems that most if not all members of this family uh, are gone with the exception of some extended family members who knew uh, the 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 eid brothers but their voices aren't gone, thanks to these letters being preserved and now being voiced by these veterans. How happy are you that through this project you were able to find veterans like Jeff and Brendan to come along and and bring history to life through this podcast?
0: It was pretty exciting. Uh, we put out sort of a call out looking for uh, individuals who might be interested interested in doing the work, and we didn't really know what we would get. Uh, you know, whether we'd have just a couple people to choose from, or mm. and there, there were literally a couple hundred veterans that were willing to were willing to do this and we kind of had the the luck of sort of picking from the people that right uh were the best and and you know that that had done some of this sort of work before or at least were comfortable with it
1: yeah it's something that i hadn't heard about but if i had you can bet i would have been one of those hundreds of people <laughs> flying for it brendan what made you want to be a part of this project and and did you have any background in it or was it just something so cool that you wanted to do
3: uh, yeah. Basically, the latter it was. It just <laughs> sounded like such a unique opportunity. Um, I didn't have any background in it. No journalism background. No media background. Um, but always been kind of a history nerd, uh, especially when it comes to military history or World War II. Um, and then, um, you know, as I've been transitioning again, going back to trying to do something a little bit different. Um, I've always, you know, been interested in in artistic and or journalistic projects even though i don't have a a formal background in any of them um so when i heard about it i i tried to jump on it and just really honored to be part of it
1: which of the brothers are you portraying in the podcast because that's how it works essentially there are four veterans who are voicing the four brothers so which one is yours that you've been dealing with
3: so i read the letters of sanford and he's actually the only one that uh, actually did not deploy to World War II.
1: He, he had a deferment, I think, because right. he was a carpenter. He, basically, in World War II, for those who aren't familiar with uh, drafting, particularly as it went on in World War II, you could get deferments for medical reasons, for the job that you worked being important. My grandfather, for example, who's still with us, 103 years old, wow. oh. he had a deferment because he was a farmer. So he, right. you know, his job, he also, I think he had five kids at that point, so they didn't really want to send him off. But this is the one brother who did not deploy during the war who did not go into the service. Right. What did you find in common with someone who who didn't actually have to serve during the war because of, uh, because of his job?
3: Well, I think it's goes back to one of those, you know, situations where if, if you, if you're not serving, you might know someone who's serving. Um, but even if you don't, it's uh, I guess what I found in common is just that, that need to communicate and to sort of understand Mm -hmm. what people are going through. Um, But having been someone that did deploy, I guess I I can't exactly identify with Sanford, um, but it's just, he's an interesting character nonetheless. Yeah.
1: Do you think it gave you any insight into the people that you I'm sure knew who Probably, we've all seen the meme, like, this is what I think I do. This is what my friends think I do. This is what my mom thinks I do. Love that Those friends who probably assumed that you were out there Ramboing it up with an M60, holding the belt in your left hand, pulling the trigger with the right, did it give you any insight maybe into what some of your friends and family members who don't understand the military might have have been wondering about what you were doing when you were over there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got a, uh, um, I don't know how to put it, just a, I get a lot from family and friends that just that going back to those assumptions, you assume everyone is just crawling through the mud and shooting things. And that's, (laughs) you know, everything they see in the movies. Um, but Sanford didn't really, he sort of seemed like the, uh, the smooth character to bounce things off of whether they wanted to talk about what they were actually doing in terms of, you know, battles or whether they were just talking about day-to-day life, how they were living, how they were getting by, um, anything, what their food was like, any, anything like that. And he was just sort of that guy that they could be honest with and upfront and tell them anything, um, as opposed to maybe their parents who they might sort of water things down for.
1: Mm. It is interesting to to know. I think back then people had more knowledge about what was going on in the military because World War II was, that was it. When you talk about right. different headlines, like when when Afghanistan and Iraq are going on, there were other headlines that superseded it at times. Not during World War II, man. There were always headlines coming in. People, uh, I mean, the amount of life lost, the amount of people involved, it's mind-boggling to us in these days, I think. Jeff, same question for you. You know, what did you get from voicing the character that you did, and did you find any similarities with him?
4: I did find a lot of similarities with John. Um, I I think, if I'm not mistaken, Washington Post had actually picked me probably because of my... uh, the, my application, if you will, like, uh, as in a nutshell, there was a, there was a nonprofit, um, here called armed services, arts partnership, ASAP, mm. uh, and ASAP had helped me, uh, essentially they, 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 they sort of started, they did start my, uh, sort of amateur, uh, stand up comedy career here in Washington, ah. DC. And, uh, so I sent in a voice sample, which was actually my video sample of my first stand stand-up show, uh, and that's probably the I'm gonna guess that's the, probably the reason why the Washington Post picked me. Um, so um so uh, it, if if you want to think about it as 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 launching my voice acting career, uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, I don't know how many more opportunities I'll have um, to to do a project like this and do voice acting. Um, but to answer your other question about similarities with the John character, yeah i I, I can definitely relate. Um, John, uh, the, the character John was involved in the Army Air Corps, which is now the Air Force. Right. Uh, he is an um, uh, aircraft mechanic, from what I understand. Uh, and as a pilot, um, you know, I can definitely relate. I know that there was a lot of training that was involved with uh, his, his career. Uh, in fact, his brothers were um, sort of uh, essentially saying, hey, you know, you should do this, you should do that. Uh, because of your particular skills with bicycles and things like that, uh, fixing bikes. Um, so, uh, I think that this, this fit, uh, this, this career that he chose, uh, seemed to fit him. And, uh, in addition to that, there, there was a lot of sort of, um, secrecy involved with, um, like where he was. It seemed sometimes it seemed like he could just say where he was sometimes he couldn't, uh, but he ended up, uh, on the island of Tinian. Um, which is in the Marianas, where they, which is uh, where they launched essentially the the bombers that dropped the atomic bombs in Japan. Right. Uh, anyway, as a pilot, you know, I've been to a lot of different places around the world. I haven't been to Tinian, uh, but I've been nearby, uh, and I, 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 I know the mindset that he's in when when he's writing his letters back home. Right. Uh, I, I, f- I feel I feel connected with him. You know, uh, his aviation background. You know, his location in the world, things like that. When you get out
1: there, and I was stationed in Guam and actually made it to Saipan, not to Tinian or Rhoda, but it did make it to Saipan, you start seeing some of the the leftovers of World War II that are still in that area, some some wreckage that's there. I saw it in Europe as well. You start getting a sense of how big World War II was. And as we've talked about, we're speaking with Jeff Chang and Brendan Wentz, who are voicing two of the Eid brothers on the Washington Post Letters from War podcast, as well as Dan Lamoth of the Washington Post, the man who kind of brought the War Letters Project at the Washington Post to life. It's a different war compared to everything that we're going through now. You know, when we look back at this, and and Dan, I want to ask you first, when we talk about, you know, the podcast looking at uh, a bygone era, do you think there's any similarities between what they were dealing with then and what we're dealing with now from a public perspective, from a military perspective? I mean, different war zone, different class, I think, of war. Do you think there are many similarities between then and now that the, the podcast and the story kind of illustrate?
0: I think there are certainly some similarities uh, You know, when it comes to how do you talk to your parents about war? How do you mm. talk to your loved ones about war? Uh, how do you explain what you can without getting into classified information? Right. Uh, You know, and at times I think they kind of beat around the bush, and at other times they just flat out say, hey, I can't talk about X, or you know if I do talk about it, they're just going to cut it out with the censorship anyway. Mm -hmm. So I I think that sort of stuff, I mean, the technology is different, the way they were talking was different, but the sort of things they had to grapple with was very much the same.
1: It is fascinating to think about how long also it would take these letters to get back. Many letters were sent during World War II that by the time the family received them, the soldier, sailor, Marine, airman who sent them was no longer with us. I mean, that was something that happened regularly. In this case, the brothers did make it back. And in the case of, of I think, each of them to an extent, but uh, there was one in particular who who struggled with his transition. Dan, can you remind me which one that was? Was it
0: Yeah, that's Frank-Eyed. He was the oldest of the bunch. Uh, He was a Marine. Uh, He was in the Guadalcanal campaigns um, as they uh, came ashore on Tulagi, another Mm. another one of the islands right near Guadalcanal. Um, He ended up uh, getting uh, malaria and jaundice, uh, came back on a hospital ship, uh, and then once he made his way from uh, San Diego area Mm -hmm. to Chicago, on his way back to get to Rockford, he kind of had a breakdown on the Navy Pier in Chicago. Uh, and ultimately spends years in and out of uh, psychiatric hospitals and really just struggling um, with a variety of
1: mental illnesses. Jeff and Brendan, when we when we hear stories like that, I mean, I think to some extent, a lot of people think of PTSD and, and the issues that we're going with, suicide rates with veterans are a modern phenomenon. It seems pretty clear when you look back through history, and as a, as a student of history myself, I know this is the case, but how clear did it become to you in reading the story and hearing the podcast, how much things, while they may be different today, have stayed the same over the last 70 years?
3: Um, Yeah, to me, it was obvious there were a lot of uh, universal themes that, you know, and I've actually read some articles on the, uh, quote unquote, the universal soldier. Mm. So that idea that no matter who you are, where you come from, or What era you're in, or what type of war you're fighting, a lot of the struggles are the same. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, the main difference with today is um, technology, obviously. Um, so that definitely changes how we interact with people when we're overseas and, and the speed of information. And that can definitely have an impact on uh, how people process and handle things. But to me, um, again, seeing sort of what Frank was going through upon, you know, when he got back is it, it affects people different ways. It can happen mm. to to anyone. He was a pretty, you know, strong, tough guy, I think is what we sort of learned, uh, prior to leaving. And obviously he still was, but, um, you just see with, with the interaction of the brothers, how one person, it can, it can set them off the rails and another person can sort of readjust and, and get their life back in track.
1: People can see that so clearly through this podcast, through the amazing voice work that the four veterans voicing the Eid brothers have done, including Brendan Wentz and Jeff Chang, who we've been speaking to here on the morning briefing. Now, Dan, two questions as we finish up with a little bit less than a minute left. First is, how happy are you with how this podcast has come out with uh, these four veterans voicing them? And second, where can people go to actually hear the podcast?
0: Uh, I've been super excited. Um, you know, we, I've never been a part of a uh, sort of a multimedia project that, that is this large. Uh, I've appeared on podcasts, but I've never sort of narrated one, and especially one that's multiple episodes. Um, it was um, really exciting to see the way that they were able to bring the letters to life. Uh, and then when you layer in, you know, the sound effects and, you know, the cl- you know news clips of the day and things of that sort. I mean, I, just w- listening through it, I'm, I mean, there are times where I'm like, wow, I can't believe wow. that, you know, you know, you hear your own voice and then you hear the rest of it. It's really cool.
1: And where can people go to find the podcast, Dan?
0: WashingtonPost.com slash letters from war.
1: You want to go there, you want to check this out. Morning Briefing, thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.